everybody and welcome back to BYOB, Bring Your Own Blockbuster Podcast. Today I am joined by the magician on the mic, Mr. Ben Haynes. How are you doing, mate? That was... It's getting there. I was thinking because, you know... Oh, mate, I couldn't be further from a magician on the mic. I'm sort of like... Oh, no, you in, do yourself in, a disservice in, there. In, in the sort of pantheon of, magi- of magicians, I'm more like one of those guys that goes around the pub trying to get 50p off people as opposed to <laughs> David Copperfield. Well, do you, do you know, what? I was I was going to lead with a mercenary on the mic because I thought, you know, because you do lots of work in various places. And I was like, does that sound like a bit of a mug off, though? Is that does that sound like, yeah, yeah, does that sound it's horrible? Got, if you give him a five, he'll turn up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a fridge door the opening down there. Ainsley will be there, you know. The geezer's broke. Get him down. Yeah. <laughs> do anything. How are you, mate? You well? I am good. I'm good. You're uh, you're not in you're not in the UK, are you, mate? Where are you? No, at the moment? I'm, I'm in I'm in Athens at the Mo. Oh, all right for hole. some, isn't it? Way. All right for some. I am I am very aware that do, like, since do, you start this podcast, I've been out of the country for maybe like three or four of the episodes. International man of mystery, you know. Yeah, but it, it doesn't make it, me sound like a bit of a walloper. You do, <laughs> <laughs> you, you do do one pod about you know gladiator, and you're off to the classical world, mate. You know. Yeah, that's it. It's so interesting you say that. I, I, we came here, so my missus is from Greece. This isn't just me sort of being like, oh, fancy a little weekend away to Athens. Um, we came here during COVID and got to go to the, the Parthenon uh, just and, and the sort of general surrounding areas of the Acropolis while it was empty. So we walked nice. around it while it was deserted. It was unbelievable. But since we've got here this time around, it's hammering it down with rain. Well, I don't know what it's like back in the UK, but... I'm sure it's warmer than this. It's hammering it down with rain here. So I've just gone down that horrendous avenue that you do when you're on holiday and it rains. It's like, well, I'll just eat the world. Yeah, I was literally going to say, <laughs> just see what the see what the crisps are like in this country. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just aggressively going after snacks in between meals. Like it's really, like it's really, really bad. I've sort of a bit of an unstoppable force at the moment when it comes to s- snacking. I'm worried I will be an immovable object by the time that we get home. It's quite frightening. Have you got a little, like, at least have you got a little running, because I know you're keen runner have you got a little running circuit there oh may i left my carry-on bag in the terminal oh, like a complete idiot what? so i don't we, we got a flight at like 5 a.m or something but hang on so you've so, lost your your shoes and everything yeah i lost my whole lot so oh, mate. I, I it's it was really quite crap so i went to the oh, shop mate, that today. is that is actually so i can't tell you mate. i'm seething <laughs> i'm laughing but I am seething. I've spent the entire oh. time. Like, I'm not one of those people that loses stuff. I just don't. Yeah. It just doesn't happen to me. Uh, and so I, I sort of pride myself on the fact that I always do the pat down. When you go anywhere, you always do the pat down. Make sure you've got the whole lot. Um, got to the gate. And then I sort of said to my missus, like, oh, have you got the bag? She was like, no. Well, where's your bag? Oh, and I no. realised. And they were like, and last call for flight to Athens and I was I went to the gate I was like please just give me five minutes I've got to run back and see where I've left this uh, and they said no unfortunately we're boarding the plane so if you want to get on this plane it's now or not at all we got onto the plane and then they were like hate to uh, start the flight off on a bad foot with some bad news but we're going to be delayed for two hours on the runway so we're just going to sit oh, here no. so I sat there for two hours and just stewed on how angry I was can, can I ask my bag. like genuinely was there that part of you that was like, is there any way I can ask them on this plane to just 
check if my bag's in the terminal. Do you know I what I mean? Think... If we're going to be grounded here for two hours. Yeah, but you, 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 like, you're, you're quite similar to me in that you're, my mind immediately goes to, can I try and fix this somehow? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. can I? And there's a part of me that's just losing my head. And just like, bugger it all, let's go home, <laughs> sack it off. Um, yeah. And then there's a part of me that's just like, right, what, what can I do? How can I try and find this? What workaround is there here? But as of yet, no news on the, on the bag. Oh, it's, it's so, been destroyed, mate. They've blown it up out the back. Yeah, yeah, literally. And, and probably filmed it and put it online just so I can find it the day I get home. <laughs> and just my, th- that my, my rage and kind of general malaise will be complete. Um, but I, I, I nipped to the shops today and I got a change of pants, which was nice. So well, I, well, you know, <laughs> while the I'm around, essentials at least. Yeah, exactly. You know. While I'm around my missus family, I'm I'm at least not a disgusting ogre. Um, give me some goss on you, mate. How are you getting on? I'm I'm absolutely fine, mate. All good. Just ticking along, tickety boo as per usual in the wonderful world of sport and Tottenham Hotspur. You know, it's oh, been mate. it's been it's been great. And do you know what the thing is? Talking about Tottenham Hotspur of disdain, it doesn't age a podcast at all, does it? Because anybody, somebody could pick <laughs> no, this up in a couple of years' time, and they, you know, God, they recorded like, this yesterday. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's it's all good. The important question here, mate, is alongside trips to Athens, lost shoes, snacking. Have you made it to the cinema? Mate, I've been so bad this week. I've been so bad. I because I've been abroad. I haven't. Have you? I have. I've been, I've been, do you know what? I've been three times. You are joking. I've You're crushing times. me on this at the moment. What have you been to see? Take me for in chronological. Okay, so chronological. Or maybe I mentioned this last time. I don't know if I did or not. Evil Dead Rising? Did yeah, I you mentioned that, that last time out. Oh, okay. So, all right. T- twice then. So, I went to the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. Oh, wow. Went to watch that on the weekend in the cinema. How uh, did you feel watching it? Sort of. I mean, it's one of those you've seen a million times, but how did you feel watching it in a cinema again? Yeah, it was it was cool. It was nice. Um, it's funny because like there are certain things like the sound was clearly not made for today's speaker systems. Mm, yeah. Um, so it doesn't really. It's actually in places some of the explosions and things sound quite sharp. Maybe it was just the mixing and stuff in right. the particular cinema I was in. But you know, I was in an Odeon like an IMAX, so it was it's generally quite good. I find. Um, so yeah, the the sound was not quite there and everything, but. I think, you know, seeing movies, movies like that are still made. I know it's cheesy, sorry, but they are made for the big screen, aren't they? And there's still something great about seeing that. And generally speaking, be brutally honest, I'm one of those people, I like to find showings at times where I know there's going to be a handful of people in the screens. I'm not really one for the packed screen. However, doesn't do anything for me that usually. Well, but watching, and I figure it, it's because I'm watching a film for the first time with fresh eyes. Watching Return of the Jedi, a film, as you say, seen probably hundreds of times down the, not that, but you know, in close to a hundred times down the years. I know most beats of the film. I'm not really like, oh, what's going to happen next? What's the suspense? So I didn't actually mind being in a packed screen because it was packed. It was absolutely packed in the screen. And it was a hot sunny day. Um, but we'd booked this age, we booked this like a month or so ago. Um, but the screen was packed and people were reacting to it all. There was even one guy, it didn't go down well with everybody. I think he thought he was going to be like Bella the Ball. But he brought two <laughs> lightsabers. He brought a Darth, He brought a red and a green lightsaber 
into the screen and was like wow 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 like shaking them around inside the screen <laughs> when when oh. the beginning when the kind of the duh, 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 you know the, the credit scroll at the beginning starts and he kind of got up and got these lightsabers out and a few people were like sit down <laughs> you know he sat at home and gone they'll love this yeah he did <laughs> they and, will love this yeah but it, it, it didn't go down very well but it was it was it was nice to see it in a cinema again and it reminded me a lot of it. It took me immediately to, and this film does in particular. My 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 grandma, she was still alive. Like she, we, she used to live in Yorkshire, and my side of the family and all my cousins, like my aunt and uncle's side of the family, we'd all go up for like Christmases. So we'd have those big family Christmases every now and again, where it'd be like me and all the yeah. cousins and stuff. And my lasting, my genuine, my lasting memory of Return of the Jedi has been sat on my on my grand's living room floor with like the fire she had an old like actual proper fireplace sat there with all my cousins just watching return when i you know when i was like six or seven years old sat there watching it for like the first time and everyone there just glued to the screen and again at that time being like wow this is absolutely awesome you know the ewoks and the 8080s and all that type of stuff just it's it's so it's so incredible and it still makes me think i think they've made some decent sort of star wars stuff mostly like the tv series things um and i think rogue one was a great film but nothing really beats like that original trilogy does it you know <clears throat> like because what's amazing is as well that they now the kind of prequels episode 1 2 and 3 are actually because they meant so much guff they're starting to age quite well. That you're starting to watch those in a different way and be like, oh, maybe mm. they weren't as bad as everyone said they were, well, just because they were being compared against the originals, which were sensational. Do you know the, the only one thing I would say, and because I went, I went to watch it with my mate Phil, and the the one thing that we were both saying now though, because you know they remastered the original trilogy in like the early noughties, so they put in all that yeah. CGI. They took out all the old seventies special effects and put in like a load of CGI. That CGI has aged horrifically. Uh, right. the, the remaster CGI, so the whole bit in like Jabba the Hutt's palace, um, when they've got like this like little CGI singer that comes in with like this funny mouth that speaks into the screen and all this type, and it, it just it looks it looks so tin pot. And there's a few moments where you could tell that they couldn't remaster it when they're on the. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sorry. I'm going to get slaughtered by kind of Star Wars aficionados, but basically the floating motorbikes when they're on Andor, when they're where the Ewoks are, yeah. right? They obviously haven't been able to remaster that. So that's still in like the 19, 1980s type um, chroma keying added onto the thing. But those effects genuinely, there's more charm to those and it just looks yeah. more in keeping. Like I really, I really wish they would re-release now, but it's George Lucas. I know he's, he's bizarre about this, but I wish they would re-release the original cuts of them with the original special mm. effects, you know, because it looks, honestly, it, it's so jarring. It pulls you out of it so much because the CGI is like, remember like when you'd play like educational games in the, like the late nineties, early noughties, when, when your parents would buy a new computer and it would come with some CD yes. ROMs. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. got that level of CGI in it. Do you know what I mean? Uh... And you're just like, this is so ugly and just, jarring um when they've gone to it's such... amazing 
Well, it's because so I mean, they've gone to such care in the 70s, like with practical VFX and stuff like that, you know, to replace it with this tin pot CGI was, I'm sure at the time, seen as quite revolutionary, but phew, turn it in, it's, you know? It's amazing what you'll forgive from that era, maybe 40, 50 years ago, because of the charm of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's actually strange how stuff that was done maybe 20 years, 30 years later, that people were like, oh, this will bring it up to the modern day, has actually aged it worse mm. than the original. And it's so interesting you say that about sitting there at Christmas with your with your family. I, I have exactly the same memory of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Sitting at, uh, we, we go to the same families, have done for like 30 years, go to the same family's house on um christmas eve and new year's day and have absolutely loads of us sitting there having now it's sort of food and wine and stuff but as yeah. kids just like loads of fizzy drinks and finger food and stuff and there being kind of like a hundred of us there and i just remember vividly sitting there alongside all of the other kids watching return of the jedi and just being completely wowed by it yeah just thinking what on earth is this this is incredible and right? it's so such a powerful memory you know that i i guess that's one of the joys of going to watch re-watching or going to watch a rerun at the cinema because straight away you kind of are thrown into an environment where you could close your eyes and you could be back where you were the first time you watched it, which is so lovely. Yeah, you know what though, Matt? I I love it. It's I'm I'm quite actually new to the whole watching a rerun of something in the cinema. I think it's maybe something that I've subconsciously always kind of turned my nose up at a, a bit. Like I've already seen it. If I'm going to the cinema, I want to see something though, new. It? Yeah, it's but now to kind of have that feeling. And maybe it's part of getting older, I guess. Maybe mm. suddenly I'm like, mm. you know, I'm sort of thinking, oh, it's been years since I've seen that, and actually be lovely to see it in the cinema again like since we did the pod last week and we sort of spoke about it then i am checking frequently now to see if i can find a showing of gladiator in the cinema because yeah, i just mate, really want to see same. it you know yeah and yeah. i can't believe there are, i know we said it on the pod but i, I can't believe there are more of these uh, one thing that i will give a little bit of a plug to have you done rooftop film club i haven't but i've done similar things but is is it good Br brilliant me me and the missus went to go and see dark knight there nice. and it was it's sort of was it hackney and you you are sitting on a rooftop on a, on a deck chair with a massive screen if the weather's good you're kind of just sitting there with a blanket with a glass of wine some extortionately priced snacks but it's yeah. just lovely you know it's lovely and you kind of you take the film back in in, in, a, in a different way which is really really nice and i think there's a charm to go in i think with those things there's a charm to go further back you know, you almost want to rewatch a film that is not too fresh in the memory so yeah. that you're able to pick up on all those little layered bits that you'd that you'd had enough time to forget about. You know, I think that's that's the, the key to a good a good rerun. But I'd love to see that's such a good point. I'd love to see Gladiator again. Um, so what was the um, what was the the, the 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 third film of the triumvirate? It was Infinity Pool. Oh, okay. How was that? Yeah, it was good. So it's Cronenberg. Um, is it Daniel Cronenberg, the son? Um, Alexander Skarsgård stars in it, as well as Mia Goth, who I was waxing lyrical about yeah. in Pearl previously. I, I, mate, I really liked it. Is it was it was a bit of me. Like it's it won't be for everybody. I imagine it will be a very Marmite film. Um, there's a lot of kind of surreal absurdist body horror 
a lot of real kind of visceral imagery and themes in there. Um, very shocking. There's some very, very vivid depictions of sex, of violence. Um, Mia Goff's in a bit of a sweet spot at the moment, isn't she? She's, mate, she's, of... she's a force and that she's unbelievable. And this again, she's brilliant. She's amazing. She's sort of come out of nowhere as well, right? That's what I think anyway. Like yeah, it seems to be that, that you know, because she's in her, and there's no problem. I'm not saying this as a criticism. I'm just saying like she's in her like late 20s now. And I haven't seen her as, you know, she hasn't been like a childhood star or anything as to the best of my knowledge. I believe she was like a model previously. I know she's um, she's dating or was dating, what's his name? I forget his name. Sheila Booth. Sheila Booth. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know, but she's she's amazing. She's again she's in, in this, she's in brilliant. She's Maniac, right? That was her. Was she? Okay. I, did, I, did, yeah. I haven't seen it. Lars von Trier, right? Yeah, I mean, bizarre film, like really bizarre oh, film. Right. It's Lars von Trier, man. They're, like, they're, super, yeah. super kind of like you, you sit and watch it and it's just all over the place. It takes you here, there and everywhere. But it's I would recommend watching it because of that. Really? Do you know what I mean? It's one of those that's just kind of, if you've got the time, it's completely wild and all over the place. So it is a, it's, a, it's an interesting watch. I think Shia LaBeouf's in that, actually. Really? I can't remember whether he's in the first part or the second part. But yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one, that. So um, I, I would check out, I would, I would recommend Infinity, Infinity Pool and also his previous film, Possessor, as well. Um, that'd be, yeah, another good one to, well, I've to got, check out. So I'm, I'm, I'm back from... I'm back from traveling on friday and my missus is staying she's staying out in greece and one of my i don't know how you feel about this because I, I know this divides opinion but one of my favorite things is going to the cinema on my own i uh, really yeah. really I enjoy it, it. i yeah. really get a lot from the whole kind of quite solitary sort of i'll go and sit and just completely give myself to a film like phone away get my horrendous amount of food and then just sit there and chow down whilst taking something in. So maybe that'll be my, my, my treat for myself yeah. when I get back. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's very dark though, mate. So prepare yourself for that. You're going to like, I'm going to have to give you a phone call straight after yeah. so you pick me back up again. <laughs> um, for the first time ever, I've picked out some comments for us and they're really, really good ones to get stuck into. Um, I've sort of picked a, a smorgasbord from, oh, yeah. from the, like the different like episodes we've had. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's stuck in. Um, we had a comment from Jake Goodyear on Instagram who commented on Whiplash and I, I really found this interesting. He said, I think to me, that it's a critique in the same way that the Wolf of Wall Street is a critique. And he's talking about the critique of um, uh, Terence Fletcher mm -hmm. and his, his style of trying to kind of get an elite performance out of someone. Uh, Jake says, it's woefully misinterpreted because I think people take movies far too literally now. Wolf of Wall Street was far worse in terms of how it glorified the behaviour of, of yeah. the lead character in that. What's your take on that, mate? Yeah, probably fair enough. Um, I don't. I mean, I. I don't know if Whiplash has it received a big backlash at all. Maybe that's something we missed when we were recording it. Um, and I don't think we were necessarily saying that it it was bad, right? I think we were more just asking the question as to whether or not some of those themes are probably less than 
uh, you know palatable to a 2023 audience so maybe that maybe that's something that jake's touching on but um yeah i, I think uh, i don't i don't know if i'd agree outright though that it's that it's a complete critique of of that world i i think it's i think it's more a a knowing nod to what that world is like based on damien chazelle's own experience of it i think but yeah yeah, yeah everyone's like like you were saying about quentin tarantino the the joyous cinema is that we can all watch the same film and it you know read it in different ways yeah and the wolf of wall street one is is kind of an interesting because that can go multiple ways as well i think just the, the nature of that film is very different though in terms of what they're trying to do and the mm. way in which it glorifies the behavior you know i think it's probably slightly different um what have we got next up here wayne on twitter on casino royale uh i guess this was as to me saying it was the best bomb film um it's up there is Daniel Craig's run of films the best run of Bond films overall? There were a couple of duds, but some absolute crackers as well. Um, I mean, to me, I I think they absolutely were. But I'm gonna I'm gonna deal this one to you, Hainsey, because I know yeah, you I, are. I, I agree. Best best group of films. I only realised again. I feel a bit of a wally now, but um, I only remembered this week when I was kind of just going back through the Casino Royale pod, that Quantum of Solace was during the writer's strike. Really? The, the previous writer's strike, which kind of explains a lot. I don't think Spectre g- gets off as, as lightly. I think Spectre was a little bit weird and a little bit... It's just really a lot of hamming up a, a very kind of flat storyline. Didn't do enough do, for me. Do you know what I would say about Spectre, mate? What I would say of it, I don't remember anything about it being brutally they, honest you know no. yeah it was it wasn't there's a couple of scenes that i actually felt there's a couple of scenes in there where they they that were almost nods to other classic evil villain cinema characters that i just felt were a little bit flimsy um but in terms of the overall daniel craig's films probably stand alone as the best films in terms of the most fun for me Roger Moore, like watching the Roger Moore films, they're totally outdated, totally problematic, (laughs) absolutely ridiculous. But Roger Moore, I shared something with you this week, mate, that that Roger Moore story that did the rounds on social media, which is basically like him kind of just being wonderfully charming and, and friendly. And it does seem that he was... I mean, I'm sure I'll be told, told that this is not the case, but he does seem just like he was a wonderful gentleman and a, and a and a totally charming, lovely man. So for me as a kid, the Roger Moore films. Um, let's go on. TTID96 says, what other dystopian and or philosoph- philosophical movies would you recommend? This comes off the back of us doing the Truman Show. Side note, without knowing, I reckon Requiem for a Dream cinematography was inspired by the Truman Show. So, what, mate, I, I saw you came up with a great list, but maybe you could share it again on, on the pod. I mean, there's a, there's so many, like in terms of like philosophical and dystopian films, right? There's so many. And I was trying to, with my ones back to him, combine a bit of the, the, the two of them, right? So, I mean, well, yours, Ex Machina, fantastic. Her... And the opening sequence of Vanilla Sky. Those are your recommendations, Hainsey. Fantastic. Um, her is one I really want to do on here as well at some point. Oh, mate, I would love to do it on. Yeah. I think given that we did 
so many of the themes in the Truman Show. We almost have to wait a bit for yeah, that yeah. one. And Whacking Phoenix worked, it, as well, right? Like, oh, God, uh, brilliant. Brilliant. And, and so of good. these, I was also saying Children and Men, High Rise, Whoa. N- Never Let Me Go, which Never Let Me Go is is a, a, a good film, but there's some great themes in there. And the book um, is is even better. I know, it's, I know it's such a fucking trite thing to say, and I'm a big cinema fan, quite clearly. Um, but it is one of those where I would say the book's better. Uh, Equilibrium, Equilibrium and 12 what Monkeys. A that was. Yeah, yeah. Equilibrium's like... Uh, that was pre-Matrix. Was it pre-Matrix? No, pre-Matrix, wasn't it? I think it was. I, I think it was. No, no. No, it wasn't. It's was actually quite some time after the Matrix. 2002. Oh, oh, 2002. Right, yeah. because it had a lot of this, lot of the same kind of like tech, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's kind of like the Matrix and 1984 put together, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The the one that you you shouted there, Children of Men. I mean, oh. I, if if you've watched The Last of Us recently, there are so many shades and kind of like oh, the Venn diagrams fun. overlap a lot, don't they? Just Mate, it's, wonderful it's, film. It, it, that's been one I've been, I've come so close to suggesting a couple of times, but I'm I'm just. I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it in the sky. But where you know, are you keeping your list at the moment? Like, have you done it? How have you done it? Because I've it's now un, got it's under, notes. It's under lock and key. It's under lock and I've key. I've got notes that I add to every week because I'll yeah. think about it. I'll be like, oh, that'd be good. And yeah. then I add it to my list, and I'm like, I've got about a hundred films on there now. I, I, I say it every week, but it's the most pressure that I feel. I'm so I'm genuinely delighted that it's your turn to choose this week, so I don't have the pressure. I know. I, do you know? Even as <laughs> I speak to you now about it. I'm still in my head like, oh, is it this one or that one? Oh, good you know, Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so we're going to see how this conversation goes. Um, but I guess that probably brings us to the point of saying, what is today's film, Ben? Um, today's film is Forrest Gump. Now, slight disclaimer. I, I can't remember off the top of my head what I said last week in terms of how I teed the film up. I think that I said I wanted something a bit uplifting and I wanted to get a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whoops um, and I wanted um, and I wanted to get um, Tom Hanks in because we hadn't done Tom Hanks yep. so immediately the films that come to your mind right you've got Big which is a I think it's late 80s early big. 90s yeah. big film um, so that was that was close for me. Then there was Cast Away, which I felt was a little bit solitary. Yeah. Then you've got yeah. Green Mile, very deep, but not as much probably happening within that. Um, uh, uh, what were the other ones? Saving Private Ryan, I thought mm-hmm. perhaps maybe not yet. Sully, um, Captain Phillips, I'm, Turner and Hooch. There's so many that I'm that I'm probably forgetting here. But I thought Forrest Gump, because there's so much thematically to get stuck into. Now, the the thing that I probably got a bit wrong here was was thinking that from from my kind of innocent memory of it, that there was so much to smile at and so much to laugh in that film. I won't skip too far ahead because we need to do spoilers in courage and see if you can nail this in 60 seconds. But I am keen to hear, I am keen to hear um, your, your thoughts on how you how uplifting or <laughs> bleak you felt it was. Having Mate, said I've, that, go on, go on, go on. I've actually been feeling anxious about how the fuck do I do this in the 60 seconds, honestly. Mate, it's like, what is it, 30, 40 years of history in the uh, film? <laughs> you know. Um, well, let's have a stab. Three, two, one, beep. 
Okay, so Tom Hanks stars in <laughs> Forrest Gump, a story about a local simple man. Did you say simple? Maybe not. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> a man with a low IQ who gets caught up in significant historical events un- unhappeningly, um, fuck, unwittingly. Um, huge historical events of the 20th century the movie starts with him sat on a bench waiting for a bus telling his life story to a complete stranger um, he recounts his, his childhood in Alabama where he's bullied for wearing leg braces where he meets the love of his life Jenny 20 seconds um, f- f- he then goes on to join the army he fights in Vietnam he meets his friend um, Bubba. Bubba Bubba yeah Bubba Blue um, 8 seconds Bubba ends up dying. He, but Bubba leaves him with the idea of starting up a shrimp company. Forrest goes back, sets up the shrimp company. Oh no, oh, it's mate. just. I just literally mate, could could you hear? You I was tying myself in knots. Uh, <laughs> I was tying myself in knots, man. I was shitting while, myself. Well, trying not to get cancelled for uh, only after eight episodes of the pod or whatever it is. So do you know good. what genuinely heightens it as well now? Is since Purdy started adding in that like the dramatic music to the Gone in sixty <laughs> seconds bit. Because I listen to it. when I listen back to it, I'm like, God, it really amps it up and now what I'm thinking in my head is like oh that music is going to be playing you know yeah without even hearing the music you feel the pressure of oh, it no, but man. it is I mean there is this is this film that was part of the reason why I picked it was because it manages to go through so much it, it takes you through so much and I really did think I have to apologize but I really did think it was going to be one of those films that you watch back with a smile on your face a lot of the time. Oh, so did um, I, though, when you suggest... I haven't seen... Uh, full disclaimer, I haven't seen this for 20-plus years. So how did you feel? Miserable, mate. It's a miserable film. That's that's my opening gambit on this. It is It is not an uplifting film. It's a, it's a horrible film. It's so miserable. <laughs> It's so, so sorry. miserable. I'm so like, sorry. I was bit... <laughs> nearly three hours as well. Right? But, do, do, like, I guess if you want to, if we can dive in, like, straight away. Straight on in. Let's do it. The, the first scene with the school teacher, how he, like, like, uses his mother sexually, exploits her to get a place in the school, and Forrest is sat outside listening to the, the awful, like, groans of the man. <laughs> Oh, it's disgusting. And I was just like, okay, this is really dark. I did, mate, you know? I didn't, I didn't, I, I did not remember no. that part of the film no. of the teacher coming out and goes, your mother really cares about your education. Oh, it's it just was disgusting. It's like this, vile. And he's, he's like, he's like oh, dabbing his head. Yeah, he's all like clammy and... And the insinuation oh. is that he's walked down from upstairs. He literally has just walked down from upstairs and she's nowhere to be seen. Yeah. Which is just horrendous. But then, yeah, I mean, I suppose on the flip side of that, there is something lovely about Sally Field just and her performance from the outset. She is just a fierce defender of her son. Yeah, You know, yeah. it, it, it doesn't make you feel uplifted, but it's cert- you certainly feel that, like fierce protection of him hmm I did I mean I think one of the things I struggled with with the film in general um because I do get I think like one of the big themes is clearly like it's the it's the power of perseverance right it's showing you like Forrest is 
a man who doesn't have all the intelligence in the world, but what he does have is the kind of the spirit to succeed and to put one foot in front of the other kind of thing. It's it's I guess the whole thing's a bit of a parable about the American dream and all that type of stuff, right? Yeah, this simple man from Alabama can go on and whatever meet a president and be a millionaire it's anything can happen to anybody because life's like a box of chocolates but i do think that like just the various twists and turns in the film were really amped up especially on a kind of misery side to to the side where it almost got a bit like you know exploitative kind of pornographic in the in the sense of it was so in your face, like constantly, all the awful things that happened to him through every single beat of the film. I just felt like, God, man, like, <laughs> is this what they needed? Is this how they needed to provoke emotions from people in the 90s? Like, I don't think it is, but seemingly like, I don't know, it, it felt it felt almost mean-spirited at times, I felt. Yeah. And I don't know if yeah, I was yeah. just being too sensitive about it, but like... Uh... Do you know, like, it really felt horrible, I thought. And I, I was so, because, yeah. like you say, I was so shocked because I remember watching this as a kid and it being such, like we've spoken about with Kill Bill, this huge cultural phenomenon and everyone talking about what a beautiful, lovely, life affirming film it was. And I watched it now, like 20 years later, as an adult, and thought, fucking hell. Fucking hell. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I sort of, I'm, I watched that first 20 minutes almost through my hands, you know, I w had my hands <laughs> on my head for so much of it, just kind of like, wow, this is just horrifying. I mean, we we'll come on to talk about the character of Jenny in a bit, in a, in a bit because I think she occupies a, mm. a very troublesome part of the film. Um, a really interesting part of the film, but one that challenges you a lot. Um, but also, just from the outset, you're kind of... You're in this position with, with Forrest where you don't know to what extent that you need to root for him as the film's hero, or partly whether you need to be sort of concerned for him. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, the the yeah, way yeah. that they they display his IQ, it kind of shows him just below the line, as it were, of what would be accepted at, at school and needing to go to a, a... I think they refer to it as a special school in the film. Yeah. Um, but immediately, I, I, I think because we're that much further on in time, we're, what, this film, was this film 98? No, earlier, mate, uh, 92, 90, yeah, yeah, maybe around that time, yeah. So so, it, so, if you think we're kind of, what, 30 years on, attitudes towards people with learning difficulties, for example, have changed so much that none of the things I imagine that people had a kind of, like, little chuckle about at the cinema are, are any longer simple laughs you know they're not little belly tickles they're sort of like oh that's a yeah. bit it's a bit painful well i, I was going to ask you so because i, I know we'll get onto this on fine wine or war crime but i think there's so much i think we do really have to sort of lead up front with this how did you find the character of forrest gump and tom hanks's portrayal because for the reasons you've touched on there I found it deeply uncomfortable, mate. I'm not going to lie. Like, and I, I, I like to think I'm not being like 
overly sensitive about it, I did find it uncomfortable to watch. And I don't know if that is, like you say, if it's just 2023 sensibilities or whatever. So this is, I think that's a really, really good point. And I think that much like some of the other films that we've looked at, I think the key question for this is, do we as an audience believe that Forrest has enough self-awareness for the character to be given the freedom to be portrayed in the way that it is, if that Mm. makes sense. I don't know how well I've explained that. No, no. Essentially, if if we're to believe that Forrest has enough of an understanding of the elements within the film that he's confronted with, then uh, it, it, it is just about okay. But if it isn't, then there's some really messy stuff in there. You know, that you've sent uh, someone with severe learning difficulties off to war. That I mean, that probably still happens that, now, to be fair, but... <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I mean, for the portrayal of it, for kind of... Yeah. I remember watching it when I was younger and, and then being like, oh, he's gone off to join the military. The fact that the, the, the football team take advantage of him and that coach has that kind of like quite sickening smile on his face where he says uh, he, he's the sh- stupidest person alive, but he sure can run. Um, and again, that like- It's horrible the, though, isn't it? Yeah, probably at the time was meant comedically. Yeah. And now it sort of felt to me a little bit like, oof, that's just really grotty. But and this equally, is what I mean, like the mean spirited side of it. Yeah, well, but equally I felt there were some moments where where Forrest pulls through for you as an audience member and he said like I, I, I know what love is you know and I felt that some of those moments yeah. were, were quite like they were all the more impactful to me now watching this time around and the moments with his son I felt were really really strong but again that comes back to that central question of how self-aware is Forrest Gump, mm. you know, because they seem to. Get... So let's just take that example at the beginning of the teacher making that disgusting pig like noise and then coming downstairs and saying, Your mum sure does care about your education and you don't talk much. And then Forrest makes the noise back at him. It's scary. I found it quite scary. A bit. Yeah. It's what, a bit like, it, it kind of echoes Deliverance. I don't know if you've ever seen that film, but no. it's, yeah, it's. Yeah, I found it really creepy. Do we are we supposed to think then that Forrest knows what his mum's just done? I don't know. I, I, I think I took it more that Forrest just thought the man was making a silly noise or something. I don't know, and just it, see and this is it's the hard problem to know, right? Yeah, this is the problem for me. This is how you kind of this is uh, this is why the needle for me is kind of teetering on the brink and and going backwards and forwards because I can't tell whether the intention is for Forrest just to be smart enough that he's able to make some of these decisions. And I can't tell whether the portrayal of him was was that he wasn't wise enough to know what he was doing on any of these, in any of these key moments, mm. you know? I think that like, so there's there's quite an interesting dynamic, I guess, between him and Jenny, especially the, the sexual dynamic. Um, when he first visits her at college and you know, they, they sort of half hook up and he has his accident. 
and her housemate is in the room. <laughs> that is a very good turn of phrase. Yeah. <laughs> he has his accident. <laughs> very and, well played. And she's in the and his her housemate is in the room. And again, I looked at that through fresh eyes because her housemate is thinking like, so they've just heard them have the conversation and you can hear kind of the way that Forrest is is talking. You know, he sounds like somebody who, uh, you know, is of a, of, a, of, a, of a low IQ or learning disabled. And you can imagine the, the housemate is thinking like, what is going on here? Is she like grooming this guy? Is she like taking advantage of this person? And so maybe she's supposed to be there to add that context. But what you see from Jenny and Forrest, Jenny, I guess, despite her always saying like, oh, you don't get it, Forrest, you don't understand it. He's always very quick to tell her, no, I do. And I guess she believes in him. They do have that emotional connection, whether or not he has the intellect or has the, well, yeah, I guess the, the intellectual capacity to keep her entertained because you see her go for all these various different types of guys and down the years but she still goes back to forest because they have that emotional connection with one another so i guess you might be able to argue that they are trying to make the point that he's not been taken advantage of in that sense but it still feels still feels risky you know it's, yeah i mean it is i found myself really in that scene i found myself very conflicted by kind of what was going on i i was watching it and thinking like, is she doing this because she likes him? Is she doing this because she feels some sort of like almost, yeah, God, education seems like the wrong word, but maybe well, no, but she I know feels exactly like what you mean. I know what she's you mean. kind of like, no one else is going to do this for him, so maybe I should. And because they share a yep. friendship, because yep. they've been friends since so young. Um, and again, I, I won't think skip, that's an element. Yeah, I won't skip on to the, the Jenny stuff just yet, yeah. but what I will say is that I think there is another side to Forrest that is redeeming. I think there is a side to him that celebrates the beauty of childlike innocence. Mm -hmm. Like we do see on, on the one side, this kind of portrayal where there could be a lot of problems. Well, I don't mean there just is. On the other side, there is a portrayal of him as a hero, you know, that, that kind of is able to focus on these tasks and is able to kind of get things done just because he is able to navigate the world because of the way that his mum managed to explain it to him. I think he even says, I think he says that my mum always managed to explain things in a way I could understand or something. And we do get that. We do get that sort of um, scene of him going to her bedside when she's dying and she gives him the line about life is like a box of chocolates you don't know what you're going to get and and again we can come on to talk about that idea of the sort of destiny versus mm. the the kind of you making your own path in life but him in vietnam um saving saving soldiers and having a sense of loyalty to to bubba you know see that was yeah. another that was another moment right where you're sitting there and you're like does he like he he, he sort of talks about Bubba and I think he uses like Bubba was my best good friend or something like that yeah and and the terminology is so clunky and obviously not grammatically accurate but the feeling that he shares when he's like I'm going to go and find Bubba because I need to save him and then when he finds him and he sort of says oh no you know he's totally aware of what's going on in that moment 
So it is like it is. It's really conflicting, but he is at times portrayed as having the the, the kind of beautiful innocence of a child combined with the the kind of um, bravery and almost kind of moral integrity of mm. a really well-educated adult, which is why it is so tough to place. Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to ask you, mate, because I, I remember... So I guess you, you know, I think you'd have probably been too young and I, I was only just about old enough, really, to kind of remember when this film came out i didn't watch this for you i mean i didn't watch this probably till i was i don't know maybe 12 or 13 or so when it was on the tv um but i do remember at the time it being heralded for being like absolutely you know mind-blowing the effects the way they'd aged everything they'd inserted all these historical kind of figures into the film and uh especially i don't know if like, i remember the one that people always used to speak about is when he is running away in vietnam when he's carrying bubba back and you see all the explosions from the airstrike behind him and he's running through the flames so i remember people holding up the kind of the power of computer graphics and filmmaking with this um what did you what did you make of those historical scenes now mate when you, when you watched them back <laughs> oh mate so i just i i thought i knew we were going to sort of have this discussion so i thought i'll make some notes on this so i've got a, a few things to offer and i forgot to go back to it so all i've got written down here is um talk around cgi and in, in inserting forest into historical sequences in sequences i've got one word written below it which is shite <laughs> <laughs> and the, the thing is the, the thing the thing is i'm sure at the time it was really really magnificent i i watched a couple of interviews of tom hanks this week kind of talking through um talking through how it was done and i watched a couple of behind the scenes videos there is actually a very 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 good behind the scenes video um on i, I think it's you know that channel movie clips they've got like half an hour of behind the scenes which is really cool um showing a lot of the the making of the film um and and how they shot some of the scenes but they did with these historical scenes basically they did um, they reshot the entire thing. So they're not just inserting him into film archive. They are recreating to a T these moments and trying to recapture them. Fair play. And then adding the face, then kind of almost layering over the top. And the, I get this is cruel, right? This is cruel for me to highlight this. The movie is, like you say, it's nearly, what, is it 30 years old now? Yeah. If it's, I should really know off the bat, seeing as I picked it, what um, what year it was. 1994, yeah. 94. So it is, it is 30 years old. You know, so it, it does feel cool. And what I will say is actually when um, Gary Sin... I've never known how to pronounce his surname. How do you pronounce his surname? Yeah. I was going to ask you. Sinise, well, should I we guess. Go, should we go Sinise? All right, okay. Sinise, Sinise. Lieutenant Dan's legs. That's actually really well done. I was I was I, I was, I was watching so, those yeah. carefully because I, I was watching the earlier, um, like you say, the historic CGI scenes. I was thinking like, oh, these have not definitely not aged very well. I seem to remember these being like amazing when I watched it as a kid, and now they like 
look very better. And it is, it's something about, just to throw back to the Star Wars chat, sorry for anybody listening, watching the video podcast of this, go and, go and listen to the audio one as well afterwards where we speak all about Return of the Jedi coming back into the cinemas and the, the effect of the CGI that was added in the noughties and how it pulled you out of the action. I do think there is something about like the 90s naughty CGI that has aged so much more badly than even like practical effects from cinema history. I, I truly honestly believe that. Yeah, I think it, it must be something to do with, you know, even when you watch like an old like Hitchcock and you can tell they're on a soundstage and there's a, there's, and they're sat in a car and the, yeah, the filmed background is obviously going back on a strip behind them. That pulls me out of the action less than old dated CGI. And yeah. maybe it's something to do with the way in which our brains process information and our brains learning and weeding out what's real and what isn't. Yes. Yeah. And it's sticking out. Maybe there's something yeah. in that. I don't know if there's anybody no, listening the to this. Right. Yeah. Right. If there's anybody listening to this that understands this type of thing more, the, the kind of the, the connection between human pathology and reality and you know whatever <laughs> let yeah, me know please do let us know because i would love to know that because I, I i i felt exactly the same when you're watching you, like i know that the i think i said to you at times it feels like even in the scenes where it's kind of later on so the the jfk scene for example where he's like you said he gotta go pee um that I think at times it sort of looks like a Charlie Chaplin film. You know, the movement is so sketchy and the kind of, the the way that it dances around a bit, it really, it does, like you said, it drags you out and it makes you mm. can't, it, immediately the scene is like something's off, something's not quite yeah. right here. And that doesn't, that doesn't really work. On the flip, where I'll give it some credit because this is hard to do, but where sure. I give it enormous credit, I feel like the running sequences are unbelievably good. Yeah, I feel oh, like yeah. they are just stunning. I mean, the, the, yes, they've got an unreal canvas to work with and a cool little story here, but because he, they had to go and film in all these random incredible landmarks, every weekend, the crew used to just rock up and get on a flight together to go and film a running sequence out of order. So it wasn't done in any chrono chronology whatsoever. They just jumped. They just said, okay, where to this weekend? And they would just go and film him running. Oh, imagine in... being a part of that production, man. I was thinking exact same thing. You know, you have a really tough week and then it's like, where are we going to go film a running sequence this weekend? You know, and it's a fairly simple sequence. No dialogue. You just go and you kind of make sure that the lighting's right. And so much of it is done like golden hour. It would just be, and you'd come back and you'd look at those rushes and be like, this is the fucking business, you know. This is yeah. just amazing, and I loved watching that. So that for me, the the CGI a big, um, but the the running stuff was magnificent. I thought really, really well done, and just just absolutely stunning at that time. Just getting it right, you know. And there was even there. We even got the scene of the kind of. Um, of him kind of running against the corn. There was like almost shades of gladiator at, at one point. He's kind of running and the cornfield is like blowing as he runs. And it's kind of that, that beautiful golden sky, which is stunning. What well, one thing we haven't touched on mate, that I only found out through a result of researching for this ahead of doing this podcast, that the film's actually based on a book. Were you ever aware of that? No, no idea, no idea, but like you say, when I was doing research for this week, I saw that it was um, 
I saw that the book at the time was one of those ones that had taken hold. It was one of those, like, if I was to try and think of a, an example of a book that just suddenly grabbed everyone, I think my mind immediately goes to either the Dan Brown Angels and Demons okay. series or the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Okay, yeah, those random you, books that just capture the zeitgeist, right? I, I feel like it's probably that. I don't know, did you pick up on anything? Did you see anything this week that kind of give you a steer? No, no, not at all, mate. No, I just, but, I, I, I had no idea that it was, it was based on that. I mean, it would be interesting. I'll, I'll do a bit more deep diving on this because I'd be, it would be interesting to know from the book how, because with books there is always more information, right, around the characters. All, all, all that I know um, is that the, that the screenplay is apparently significantly different from the book. That's the one factoid I picked out. Um, when I was looking into that, but people always say that of books and film adaptations, right? You know, so yeah. But and I mean, there's so much more wiggle room, isn't there? I mean, you've got hundreds of pages to play with, which is not quite the the case. And I think that's one of the things here that we've obviously spoken about at length already. But there, because of his character, one scene has an enormous bearing on how you're going to treat him for the rest of the film. You know, if they get a beat wrong early on. It can have a big impact on on where you see his where you see his character going and where you see that kind of arc taking you and whether you're on board for the ride or whether you actually have you're kind of sitting there being like mm, not sure about this. But that kind of does lead us on, and I think now is probably an appropriate time. Where did you sit on on the character of Jenny? Um, oh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's so funny. Like in popular culture now she is seen as like the villain of the film right um she's often sort of pilloried in that in that way and i guess i went into this thinking like oh there she is the nasty one but watching it this time like it was completely lost on me on any other viewing that she was molested as a child yeah do you know what i mean and i'm watching that this time i was like yeah how we were talking about having to watch the opening sequence through your fingers like that again i was like what the fuck like when was that a thing when did that how did i completely miss that i guess i missed it because i watched it when i was a child really near enough um but from that point onwards you know she was somebody that was always trying to run away from that horrible past that she had and forrest was part of that he was the comfort he was he was that the the silver lining to that horrible awful childhood that she had but he was still part of that childhood and you can see it like throughout their kind of various meetings down the years she finds that comfort she finds that love that warmth that just that pure love that Forrest has for her and it makes her feel valued and it makes her feel special but then I think it still takes her back to that place that she she grew up in so i i definitely have a hell of a lot more sympathy for her on watching it this time and kind of un understanding more now what her character went through as i mean i don't i don't have any understanding on a personal level but at least a, a level of empathy as to what her character must have gone through as a child i mean it's, it's horrific it's horrific and it, like i say again it just added that element to the start of the film where I was like, Jesus, man, like, 
this is horrible, you know? Yeah, what, a, what a setup. I mean, what a setup. Yeah. That he comes back to find that he comes to, she doesn't go to school that day and, and he comes to find her and she's hiding and her drunk dad who's just abused her comes out of the house and she prays that she'll be taken far, far away. I mean, a really interesting thing here that I, I, I don't know if you, you knew this. Actually, let me ask the question. Do you, what do you think happens to to Jenny in terms of like where in the film she's taken to live with her grandma, right? Yeah. We're not given any further context there, are we? No, no, not as far as I can remember. Just insinuation is that the police come and take her to live with her grandma. Now, that's I I my recollection of that was very minimal. I don't remember seeing the fact that oh in terms of what her father well no because Forrest says he says in a scene just before when the father's looking for her she's hiding in the cornfield Forrest tees that scene up by saying her father always seemed like such a loving man he always had his hands all over his girls kissing them stroking them you know yeah he sure liked to touch them a lot precisely yeah yeah. I think the nod is really is heavily implied so that gives you the like right he was abusive he's got mm. the bottle in hand so that you know he was on perhaps an alcoholic as well and that he'd fallen asleep as i think jenny said he'd fallen asleep now a scene that they cut out of the film and i found this out this week that i had n- i had no idea about this and it was in a retro archive junket thing that i found with an interview of robin wright um who plays jenny in the film um and she said they rem- they deleted a scene from the film where Jenny kills her dad. Oh, like really? she yeah, she goes over him with a tractor, I think. She kills him like and that's when the police come and take her away. Now I didn't to me I wouldn't have had any idea that that was the insinuation that she had killed her dad. It to, no. the way that the film played out was that just that she had she'd just been taken away so the police had managed to find out that he was abusive and, and taken her away yeah. and then later on when she has that breakdown where she's sitting in front of the house and throwing stones at it um that that was that was obviously why just because she was haunted by it um but she robin wright said that she was really uncomfortable that they'd taken out this scene of her killing him because she felt like this the scene later on didn't have enough context but she felt it was all the more powerful you know because it was so subtle her just kind of collapsing and and kind of it made me that made me kind of warm to her and i was similar to you i mean i i still have real hang-ups about that character i still think there's a lot in there that i'm like come on i want to give a pass on so many things but i'm like i just the bit where she sleeps with him to me, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I can't square it away. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Really tough to in In, in, in of... what the sense that she, she's taking advantage of him or? Definitely an element of that. An element of just being hugely selfish and deciding that she was going to do that thing in that moment but i mean mm. my missus you'll kill me for not kind of harvard referencing her here but she um <laughs> she said 
that Jenny, we should give Jenny leeway because she doesn't actually know what love is. You know, the, yeah. the, the love that she's experienced That's a good point. through her father, because we don't even get told about her mother. So the love she's experienced through her father is displayed through that kind of horrible lens. And so she, she doesn't know how to display to Forrest that she loves him. Um, so she kind of does that thing and then perhaps is kind of like sickened with herself or is not sure how to behave and then just kind of goes away. But then she says, I'm not running away, you know? Um, so is it, there, there's a really, really great analysis online. I kind of, I, I struggled with this all week. There's a really great analysis online and I completely forgot the guy who, who did it. I might just very quickly get up cause I don't want to, I don't want to kind of steal this off of him. Um, because I think it is really, really important. Jenny Forrest Gump character analysis. It is, um, it is from a guy called movie breaker. Um, and I don't think he's got an enormous channel on YouTube, but he does like uh, basically an analysis of whether Jenny is a good or bad person. He makes the argument across the board that she's a fundamentally good person in just a bunch of messed up situations. But for me, I just couldn't quite, I couldn't quite forgive her. <laughs> you know, I couldn't quite square away, but I do want to put the asterisk there that th this, this time of watching, I had a, wholly different take on her character because of what she experiences as a child i think like mate uh, down the down the the series so far of the pods we've both referenced our missuses quite quite often we should probably get the pair of them on as the first guests one yeah week, at really. some point they should actually get to choose a film shouldn't they as yeah. opposed to just sitting there like you're watching this this week yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although to me, I, 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 this was this is one of Christina's favorite films, so I think it's like it was it was it was a really nice, it it was nice to watch it back, albeit kind of challenging at the same time. I mean, is there anything we've missed on Jenny? Is there any parts of her kind of character analysis that we should be flagging? I guess I mean it all just really for me part of her is like it it ties into one of the big sort of themes of of the movie which is the importance of friendship and family right you know yeah, yeah. forest they've both come from a similar background but forest was given the even though he was a a simple man and all that type of thing he was given that platform that foundation of love and he was nurtured and he was in turn able to pay that forwards whereas jenny like Christina said never knew love never knew that kind of that 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 feeling and thus was unable really to pay that forwards but Forrest did extend that kindness to her and I guess she tried her best to extend that kindness to him in in ways that you know she probably knew how to either make him feel like a man or make him more adult by giving him these you know a sexual awakening for example things like that um whether you know, we find that tricky or whatever in the context. And I'm sure this probably wasn't implied or it wasn't one of the filmmakers' decisions, but one might even be able to look at the fact that, you know, somebody who has been sexually abused in their lives may have a, a, yeah. a problematic relationship with that type of thing going forwards themselves, you know. Um, of course, yeah. So I, I think, you know, that, that her, her sort of place within that film really does kind of, highlight that that even though Forrest was you know he might have been from say you know humble beginnings and he was definitely humble in intellect 
he was rich in love and he tried his best throughout his life to sort of pay that forwards even to her he was still you know he he just had what's the word i'm looking for the the oh god this completely escaped me but the love without you know without kind of caveats unconditional unconditional of, love yeah. there you go there you yeah. go gcse <laughs> english um unconditional comes love up, for her comes up trumps me once again yeah. <laughs> 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 I suppose two other things that I'd I'd completely forgotten that I should point out. Um, I'd forgotten that the film makes reference to her suicidal tendencies. Mm-hmm. I I I had not I'd completely forgotten about that. Um, when when we sort of see her standing on the side of a building and and thinking about ending her life, which obviously has a has an enormous impact. Um, and then. Again, I had to do a little bit more reading on this, but we, we sort of, it's implied that she has HIV at the end. Interesting. Okay. I, I didn't, I, I assumed it was cancer, but then I guess, yeah, you do see the shoot, the scenes of her shooting up, don't you? Um, yeah. When she, yeah. So I, I guess that would make sense. Well, because, because of the, uh, the way that she describes it, she says they still, I have some kind of illness and they still don't know what it is. Um, which, I mean, I guess could be anything, but I did read up on a couple of things this week saying that that was the, the implication of it. Okay. Because of, because of, the, because of the timing of when yeah. they were supposed to, where they were in the timeline at the time, but they don't actually ever say. And she's presented as this kind of like free-spirited, kind of almost hippie. I mean, when you see her character we come into contact with her at so many different points and she's kind of almost kind of zigzagging in and out of all these very spree free spirited things whereas mm. forest has almost gone down a very alternative kind of he's almost gone down the, the most regimented and structured route that he possibly could have done you know yeah yeah that is interesting yeah i don't know some food for thought. It's, it's sort of take. I'm just. I'm actually quite annoyed that I missed that. I didn't. I didn't really pick that one out. But it makes total sense now when you when you put it in that context. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose because he does. Forrest does say like Sally Field's character. His his mum had got the cancer, so yeah, he yeah, sort of fair. does know that. So, um, I want. Do you know what, mate? I wanted to kind of like pick up one of the the central themes and just kind of see where you landed on it. What What did you make of that? And this gives us an opportunity to talk about Lieutenant Dan, which is just lovely because I think his character is amazing. What did you make of the whole discussion around destiny versus making your own luck? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's... I think it... Def- I mean, I, I tend to think that the, the film, as many... And I don't mean this through a, a UK political lens... Um, but I think the film is probably quite conservative in its values. Um, that's what I pick up. And I think many of these kind of 90s big Hollywood movies were, I think that the general undercurrent was more towards wholesome family values, um, the American dream, all that type of thing. So I think it was i i think it was more showing you it was about the in my personal opinion the way i took this it was more about the the power of perseverance like forrest gump's destiny 
should be that he would live this yokel small town life in Alabama and you know tend to his crops and all that type of thing like some sort of I would say the character is largely borrowing from Lenny from Of Mice and Men um, yeah. Yeah. so I would say it's, it's probably largely that would be his destiny but I think the film is showing you that our destinies are what we make of them um, that he's a man that never gave up that he always tried to see the good in people and in things and his mind was unbridled from the, should we say, adult-like cynicism of the world, that he saw everything through that kind of um, childlike, and I, I, I say that uh, within context of the film and probably the the way in which the writers intended it to be at the time. I'm not saying it's not problematic or anything, um, but that kind of that, that childlike lens, that naivety, that purity of vision of the world where well, I want to do, you know, I want to start up this fishing company, this shrimp company, because my friend said that I should, and I'm going to do that. You know, he, after he becomes this multiple, multiple millionaire, goes and delivers a check for millions of dollars for half the estate to Bubba's mother. You know, nobody would have, nobody, nobody else would have done that, you know, but he would have done it because that was his purity of vision. That was the promise he made to his friend, and he did that. Um, so I, I believe that the I, th I think that the movie it does have elements of of destiny about it I guess to to an extent but I, I still think it flies very much in the face of that and it is more about your future is what you make of it I, I don't know but but there are elements of destiny because you could say there's destiny that he met Bubba in the first place and was given this kind of tip off to start this shrimp company and everything so what did you make of it mate Yeah no I'm I'm very similar like I think essentially you have this cross-section you have this kind of hybrid right and that you've got his mum consistently kind of reinforcing that you can be anything that you set your mind your mind to you can do whatever you want um and then you've got lieutenant dan on the other hand being like this was my destiny and you stole it from me you know now look mm. at me i'm here with no legs and you've got lieutenant dan like hammering home that message and there's that incredible scene of him on top of the ship having it out with god yeah, you know when yeah. he's screaming at god is like it's me and you pal um and then he kind of almost seems to kind of make his peace with his setup and we kind of see him thanking forest for saving him and i think that could mean both in vietnam but saving him later on in life um you also get I, I think there's a really, really cool challenge in this one, right? In that it starts with the feather drifting down. Like the, the whole film starts with a feather drifting down yeah. and it could attach itself to any individual and people keep walking past it and it stops exactly where Forrest is. And I think in a nutshell, that kind of is having that discussion for you at the beginning of the film. It's saying mm. like this feather could have landed anywhere but it landed at his feet also he chose to pick it up he could have not chosen to pick it up so it is the intersection of you make your own luck you kind of do what you do in your life and against the idea of you kind of being dealt this hand or being been you don't know which chocolate you're going to get and then you, I, I again I for all of the things in this that I did that didn't work for me I was sobbing at the scene where he's standing at Jenny's grave and talking to to Jenny it just it just com 
completely crushed me him having that kind of discussion about his son and having discussion about life and destiny and stuff and and not knowing what to do and i can't remember what he says i can't remember what the exact the exact line is but he just says I, i'm trying to work out whether mum was right or lieutenant dan was right maybe it's both um but it was then lovely that it kind of like the the feather is then kind of released and the film ends mm. you know sort of neatly tied back up again and i did really i i did really like that that kind of relativism versus determinism thing yeah. you know the idea that you kind of you can make your own path but also sometimes it does feel like life just chucks you a curveball or life just chucks you something that you think that was that was way too random to have happened to me like that you know well we all have that sometimes don't we you know yeah you, you do know, get so those pangs don't you you get those pangs sometimes you're like how's that that's that's not right like that's just too that's just too much chaos um but then equally like i I, 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 as a person, I love the idea of thinking if I put my mind to it, I can make this happen for myself, you know? Yeah. I hate the idea of being like, well, I'll just have to surrender myself to whatever happens, happens. But I do, I, that was one thing I really enjoyed in this film was that discussion. I really enjoyed the idea of having someone like Lieutenant Dan sitting there and that really funny sequence of being like, well, he, one of his family had died in every American war that Amer every war that America's been involved with. And he was like, this is going to be my legacy. And it's kind of like his identity is almost stolen from him and he has to refine that identity. And and there is a, a really lovely camaraderie as well. You know, when the, the prostitute calls um, Forrest stupid and he's like, he's not stupid. Yeah, Don't yeah. call him that. You know, and you have this real kind of very quite deep-rooted sort of fondness for lieutenant dan i actually think he's one of the candidates for me in terms of mvp i thought his performance was amazing um just w one more thing that i wanted to launch into the mix mate i don't know how you felt about this but the the soundtrack just running throughout the film i think is one thing they got really right oh some absolute bangers all the way right just lovely i do not i might even get it like because we, we we looked at i mean gladiator i've had on ever since we did on the pod yeah. and it's just it's now just the it's now just the ambient soundtrack for me working <laughs> which is really really nice but in terms of the, the in terms of the 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 songs that got in there they had fleetwood mac go your own way running on empty jackson brown sweet home alabama yeah uh, keeps you running doobie brothers you've got california dreaming mamas and the papas fortune um, son credence oh, yeah all along the, the watchtower yes know? yeah i mean every it, like there is so mrs robinson simon and garfunkel yeah it's not bad is it and 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 i was actually going to sort of just toss it into the mix like when this film probably benefited from the fact that in the early 90s you could probably clear music quite easily yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it seems to be seemingly impossible now. It's one of those complaints I always hear that filmmakers talk about is how much it costs to use music now nowadays. Yeah, yeah, and you can't like just it, it, particularly this type of music. I imagine if you tried to use on the soundtrack, there is like f fifty something tracks. If you tried to do this now on a film, I think you'd price yourself out of the 
even creating anything because it would cost so much. So that's really, really wicked. Um, mate, have we missed anything out? Is there any kind of bits that we've not covered? No, no, I think because I think it will set us up nicely for the for the next couple of sections that we're going into. Right, let's dance. So what do you want to do first? Should we do, um, should we do MVP? Yeah, let's do MVP. Okay, who's your winner? I, I, I like where you were going, mate. I, I like Lieutenant Dan. I think Gary Sinise's... Sinise? 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 Sinise. Sinise. Sinise, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think there was a complexity to his performance that basically outshone everybody else in the film in my opinion i thought he was i thought he was brilliant um and his his personal arc was i think one of the more i guess rewarding of the film um him finding a kind of a new quality to the life that he was given like you say i had this destiny i was supposed to die at war like all of my forefathers but he didn't and he he had that real troubled relationship with his disability um and then i think there's a good message there as well for because i think you know it's kind of it's popularized in so many films albeit unintentionally maybe a lot of the time just in an ignorant or unthinking way that you know oh god it must be so awful being disabled when actually you know disabled people have great lives as well and they enjoy their lives and they should and they shouldn't be made to feel like they they can't and i think that's one of the one of the things i think this film got right in the end ultimately that he saw that joy and that beauty in life and and living um and accepted that his circumstances were different but that didn't mean that he couldn't enjoy being alive and i think it was it was portrayed really well by the actor i think i think he knocked it out of the park yeah, you you do. You're right. It is rewarding, isn't it? Seeing him arrive to Forrest and Jenny's wedding. Yeah. And and him just looking, he goes from looking sort of very, like almost like his hair fully grown, huge beard, looking like he just is given up, you know. And then you see him just in that very kind of together, calm, happy. And I, 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 obviously, I, I believe it's intentional that they've partnered him with an Asian wife coming to the wedding. That almost he's kind of made his made his peace. You know that he'd kind of. I, I'd assumed she was Vietnamese, but you know, yeah. that's that's maybe that's a bad assumption on my part. You know, but no, no, no. I like because because I, th- I think the thing is like as, I know it sounds like a criticism, but a lot of the the emotional twists and turns in this film are very on the nose. Do you know what I mean? They are very yeah. on the nose. So that's yeah. why I assumed that. You know? Yeah, that was that was kind of my take as well. I just didn't want to be sort of uh, like corrected and told <laughs> that yeah. actually she's very clearly not from Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that we just missed an Easter egg somewhere in there. But it, it um but yeah, that was that was kind of how I read that. And and that was a really lovely I like you said, I think his character is one of the only ones that I didn't that I didn't come away from the film thinking, oh man, I, d- I don't remember it like that. I th- feel like his character is how I remembered it. That yeah. his character comes through the film in the same way that I remember him coming through the film, and perhaps that's because there's a there's a a more simple message around his character in terms of the the arc around the war, like in terms of him believing what his what his destiny was going to be um but i i 
I really, really enjoyed his performance. I actually thought the scene where in the middle of the night he drags Forrest onto the ground. Yeah. That was that was really well done. It's it, raw, isn't it, man? Yeah, well. and and he kind of oh, the, the thing that he does well there. And I know that me and you have spoken about this a lot in the past, and we've definitely spoken about it with regards to um, Terence Fletcher and Whiplash. But he does that thing where he pulls Forrest onto the ground, and he's got that dad style grip strength. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's kind yeah. of like holding him so tight, and he's like so tense throughout it. Which is, yeah, I, I, I thought it was wicked. But I, I, I mean, I thought Sally Field was amazing as well. Yeah. I thought she was phenomenal. She gets the assist for me at the beginning, that, that opening sequence that was so horrible. But I think a lot of that is because of the way that she carries it. Yeah. yeah and that, the, the line which is where he asked what a vacation is, and she said it's when someone goes away and never comes back. You know, that was <laughs> just another brutal, brutal element. Okay. Um the toughie, take it away, mate. Fine wine or war crime, mate. I, f I feel like this is maybe going to be the first time that you know I'm less than complimentary about a film because um, I'm gonna have to go war crime, man, for quite a few reasons. On Forrest Gump, hit me with him. What? Where do we start? <sighs> where do we start? So I think basically the central premise of the film being that Forrest is this kind of low IQ or learning disabled person and that the film draws its emotional beats from essentially abusing this character on screen is really difficult it's really hard to stomach um like i say i found and i know it's of its time but we are watching this in 2023 and this is what the section of this film is you know this podcast is about I found it deeply uncomfortable watching Tom Hanks play play that role. It's, it's, I find it deeply uncomfortable that he won an Oscar for it. Um, I, I, I don't think, and I don't think it should fly in 2023, um, somebody somebody assuming that role. And I know this sounds like really like hard line on it, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile that. I couldn't reconcile that the audience was almost... I, I don't know, like you're 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 finding entertainment in somebody who, you know, is learning disabled being kind of brutalized in the fashion that he is on screen. Like even like you say, even in the throwaway moments of the coach being like, you know, he sure is stupid, but damn he can run. Um and I thought that like, you know, his kind of that 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 like kind of like childlike lens that he had on everything I, I kind of i get it it's 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 meant to evoke in us that sense of childlike wonder in all of us that we can all remember a time when we were less cynical and you know isn't it it wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody just viewed it like him but you're completely ultimately removing a learning disabled person of any agency you're you're using them and their disability i guess as a prop to make us feel better or to make us reflect upon the world and not really on the challenges that he faced in his life um that even things like you know the fact that his mother was sexually exploited by a teacher is almost kind of used as a prop to say well 
that's how determined his mother was to give him a good life. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm kind of I'm I'm being too <laughs> zero tolerance on it. But I don't I, think so. I don't I d- think so. I, d- I did like that. That like that's kind of the the main element of the film in terms of the war crime stuff. The, the, there are other bits and pieces that we can go on to, but I, I, yeah, just to toss the ball I, back to you on this one. No, nah, but I don't, I don't, I don't think, I, I th- like you say, I think that's what this section of the pod is here for. I think that's this has been the first film that we've watched where I've gone that it's not been elements of the film that are problematic, you know. It's not been yeah. like, oh, well, that's it's the fundamental premise of the film. Precisely. You know, it's not that we're sitting there kind of going, oh, Buffalo Bill, there's there's some issues there that are at play, that there was a protest about LGBTQ plus rights at the, the Oscars around Silence of the Lambs, for example. It, it, it runs a lot deeper than that because we're introduced to the character at the very start of the film. And I, I think one of the things we we've probably have touched on before is that if it if you have that feeling of discomfort you know and the feeling that this is not this is in terms of the film this is not quite right you know this doesn't feel this doesn't feel like this is okay i think it's important that you embrace that discomfort with the film it's important to like dig into that yeah. and be like why doesn't this feel okay you know, within the first 15, 20 minutes, both of us had text each other to being like, to say like, what is going on here? Like, yeah. I don't remember this stuff. You know, this is not, and there isn't, there isn't the, there isn't the care given to it that I believe that the character deserves in terms of if you're going to have that discussion. And I think it's very much a product of its time. I think possibly 100%. now... Bob Zemeckis and and I think probably Tom Hanks will look back at that and and probably feel a d- discard. I don't I don't believe that it came from a bad place. That's no no thing. no no. Nor do I. Sorry, go on, mate, go on. No no no. Please, I was just I'm just agreeing with you. No, but I don't. Yeah so. no, I, I don't I don't believe that it comes from a bad place. I think actually that the film, the intention of the film was how I remembered when I picked it. I remembered it being uplifting. Yeah. But so much time has passed that things that even 20 years ago would have been deemed uplifting and now deemed a little bit bleak and a little bit dark. Yeah. Um, and that was, that's why for me that it kind of, it doesn't hold up and there are nice elements, but I feel like on this one, it's been flipped on its head and there are redeeming elements within a fundamentally flawed thread. Yeah. As opposed to the, like the core of the film is, has good intentions and there are bits that let it down, I think. I think it's very, very tough to square away, in particular, Jenny and Forrest's character. I think the discussion around Jenny's character, she, they don't give enough to that. They don't take enough care with that discussion. Yeah. And I don't think there's enough... I think... It's almost the, like the fact they leave her open to being pictures as the baddie in the situation right yeah yeah and i and 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 i think even even just little things like at the beginning the the forest mum is with the school teacher and he's showing her on a graph where her son is and 
it's like his IQ is 74, I think. Yeah. I think it says 74 and 75 to come to the school. I, I just don't feel like they did enough to explain... To, you know that point I made earlier on about the self-awareness? I don't mm-hmm. think that they did enough to tell you that we can go on this journey with him and you can feel secure as an audience member in following his path and knowing that he has the capability to go on this journey, you know, and for you to feel comfortable with that. I feel like there's not enough, there's just not enough depth gone into at the beginning. And so a lot of the things that the audience would have laughed at 30 years ago are now things that we find uncomfortable. And I think for that reason, I think it's aged badly. I don't think it's aged in the way that we kind of hope that these films would, you know, with that, that rose tinted nostalgia. I, I think, you know, like representation in on screen is, you know, it's getting better and it's still not perfect, but it is getting better, especially over the past few years. But, you know, one way in which representation is still sorely lacking, even in 2023, is, is with disabled people, their depiction yep. on screen and even their visibility on screen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so to, I guess, to, to dig out a film from... 30 years ago to say well you know it's it's not really up to the standards of 2023 well the standards of 2023 aren't that great either um but it is just i, f- I feel like it is just important to like you say to flag these things i'm not saying don't watch like i say with any of these things yeah this whole section is about this but my my stance is seldom ever don't watch this film because i don't think the film is actively hateful or anything no, like that no. you know i just think the film is misguided in its sentiment i think it's it's it, it, it you know it uses people as prob- but in in saying this i do think the arc of lieutenant dan is dealt with within this context quite tastefully and is is done quite tenderly so that's why i almost extend a bit less courtesy not courtesy but understanding in some respects to to forest and to for the reasons i outlined previously yeah and let me just chuck one more in here because what i'm really aware of on this is that there will be a section of people that will be sitting here listening to this and going why can't we just enjoy forest gump you know what like what like I just want to enjoy the film and that's perfectly fine if, it did, if, if yeah. the film didn't make you feel that way and you still were able to watch it in just the same way as ever and like I said there are so many elements in this film that are heartwarming lovely really like 100%. I, I was sobbing like I said when that speech that he gives at the end where he's talking to Jenny at a gravesite like there are so many elements to this film that yeah. are lovely but the question that I would ask is do you think in 2023 if this script came across Tom Hanks's desk, he would take this role. No. And no, I would no. argue that he wouldn't be anywhere near it, no, let alone thinking that he'd win an Oscar for it. So I think that gives you a good steer as to how this film is aged. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. Um, I think that's the important thing always, you know, like we say, if, if a film's not being actively hateful, I'm not saying to anybody, don't enjoy it and I somehow judge you for, for watching it. I'm just talking as somebody that records a film called podcast about my experience on watching it. And those were the things that I, I couldn't reconcile as I was watching it. Um, I mean, the, a, a, a sort of, you know, a lesser one and it's, it's pretty much, it's done, not a lesser one, but 
it's it's a more minor element of the film but you know i'd seen and this isn't this is a criticism that i'd seen elsewhere as well that the portrayal of the vietnam war was particularly romanticized um that again and this kind of plays into the sort of conservative values of of the film and the fact it kind of it's very pro-america um the sort of the brutality of it and America's brutality in particular in Vietnam is heavily downplayed in the film. And again, it's used as a kind of a, a simple sort of plot point for the film. And I understand the film wasn't a movie about the Vietnam war, but it is still pretty central to the, to the plot of the film. Um, and so I guess, I mean, one take I've seen that I wouldn't, I wouldn't so much agree on is that like Forrest was shown to be like, in Vietnam to show like, look, you know, we didn't know what we were doing out there, really. We just kind of went over there with a nice idea that we were trying mm. to do a good thing. And I'm like, it, not sure on that. Yeah, one. I, I don't know how much I agree that that was intentional from the filmmakers, but I do agree that the the, the Vietnam War is kind of it's just kind of glossed over. And, you know, when you are using something like that and again, the sort of the Americans are the ones that end up being the victims in it. It's yeah. kind of, it's a bit dodgy. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess one of the, one of the, the, the big criticisms that I would say, and it, it jumps off the back of the, of the Vietnam thing. And this is, this is a trope that's widely used throughout many movies. So I, I doubt this is the last time we'll ever be talking about this. Um, it's the 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 magical n word trope that is used in terms of Bubba's character, um, and I've actually I've got a uh, I've got a, a kind of a, an explanation here from um, Grace Nick Blake, um, who kind of outlines exactly what the trope is, uh, the 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 magical n word. Um, so it's basically a supporting character who is portrayed as coming to the aid of a white protagonist. They possess usually insight or some sort of mystical power. They're typically, but not always, outwardly or inwardly disabled by discrimination, a disability or social constraint. They usually appear just one day out of nowhere to help the white protagonist, and they usually have some sort of power or belief that those around the white protagonist do not have. They are patient and wise, and often giving words of wisdom to the white protagonist. They will do anything they can to help the white protagonist, and they generally have to be somewhat self-reliant so they can look out for the, the protagonist themselves as they're a huge helper to that protagonist throughout the story. Um, there's a few different examples of this, say like John Coffey from The Green Mile, um, Jim Huckleberry Finn, but in terms of like um, Benjamin Booth of Blue, um, better known as Bubba from Forrest Gump, Bubba is known as a magical N-word for being so kind-hearted and loving to the protagonist of Forrest Gump. Um, and I guess the other element of that is providing him with this golden ticket of him having a, of a of having a shrimp company. Um, so again, this isn't something that I, you know, I think this is something that people, probably filmmakers, viewers, are going to be learning over the kind of journey, especially I guess it's been catapulted throughout lockdown the past few years. The type of conversations that we've been having, the I guess the complexities and a lot of the the dynamics racial dynamics between white people and people of color and the way that's played out we're talking about representation on screen you know it's been a trope for a long time that the black guy always dies first in the movie you know and i, I guess we're we're all catching up with these things but that that was something else that you know i i thought to 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 flag in it that, I, that i'd that's seen that's a really really 
um, it's a really, really good point. And it's one that, like, with Bubba's character that I didn't, um, but, like, had to, it's not that I'd, like, actively not thought about it. There just had been so much within the film that I'd that I'd been kind of, that I had seen through my lens that I didn't pick up on that. It's a really, really great shout. Um, should we um, should we go on to the ratings? I wonder how this is kind of, I wonder if this is kind of maintained what it had. I mean, it's certainly still very high IMDb-wise, right? Let's have a look. Let's have a look. IMDb, Forrest Gump, 1994. <laughs> Yep, eight point eight out of ten for Forrest Gump. Wowzers! And and is it? I think it's quite, I think it's top twenty IMDb top two fifty, right? It's well, it's two two five. But like I say, mate, like when we did this oh, first wow. for Mrs. Doubtfire, the 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 IMDb ratings have been completely like blown by recency bias now. Yeah. So like you'll find it. It's all just like Marvel films or movies that have got like you know Selena Gomez or. <laughs> Harry Styles in do you know what I mean it's kind of yeah. it's, it's you know that's sort of the way they've, they've gone um, but yeah 8.8 on 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 IMDB um, let's have a look at Rotten Tomatoes 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 <laughs> 71% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes okay. how does that compare like with, the, with, with what we've lower heard. down, lower down on that the list. is see that's interesting, and and I wonder whether that has been skewed by, or not skewed by, but affected by more recent kind of looks at the film, if that makes sense. So do you want to do you want to see some of yeah Charlie, yeah some of the... yeah absolutely. So, Nigel Andrews of the Financial Times, no less, um, self ingratiatingly, and for this viewer, maddeningly. It blends the comic with the Christly, the satirical with the sentimental, the free thinking with the fuddy-duddy. Um, we've got Leslie Felperin from Sight and Sound magazine says, it's too specific to be a proper allegory and too vague to provide a satisfactorily millennial perspective on the last 50 years. Neither is it caustic enough to make one cry nor soppy enough to make one laugh. Um, Apart from me. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian Weepy, D. Here. Johnson from McLean's Magazine says the narrative is so programmed it is like watching software. Forrest Gump is a medley of sound bites, clever, cute, amusing, silly, sentimental, and irritatingly phony. Yeah, see, this is interesting because it's not that that's not picked up on any of the the bits that we kind of went for. What about Metacritic? Let's have a look at Metacritic. I would say, you know, as to provide that balance on uh, the audience score for Forrest Gump on Rotten Tomatoes is 95%. So, you know. Um, So on Metacritic, I've got... You're waiting to see if it's got the badge, aren't you, Ben? Yeah, that's that's kind of become the, the, the... the key thing for me now and I who was it that didn't get it was it Gladiator didn't get it Casino Royale Cause it, oh livid well you'll be happy to know Forrest Gump did get the Metacritic must see badge and it got a rating of 82% so again okay you know interesting that's been, but look, although, been I, I find Metascore is quite brutal in some ways I do I do think they're you know I've made I've really enjoyed this pod that I've really liked the fact that we've had stuff to get stuck into here and and things are a little bit different 
you know like to actually sit there and be like this is a film that i thought was one of my absolute favorites and i've watched it back and maybe it's not quite as i uh, as i thought originally it's been i was i was shocked mate i was honestly i was shocked because like you i i watched this in childhood and i remember really enjoying it and thinking it was you know really sweet and really nice and maybe i'm just maybe i'm just too cynical and too old now to enjoy it but <laughs> i yeah i uh i i didn't love it you know i didn't um and you know if i if i was to give it a rating mate it, it would be like a 2.5 or a 3 out of 5 for me like it's oh, that it's, is it's taken that, a tumble for me big time but that's listen that is kind of like the that's what we kind of do the pod for right i mean it's it's to actually give an honest appraisal and give an honest kind of review of of these films i think i think for me the the core elements like we said i think i'm probably in the 3.5 category because i think there's enough there for me to still um still get my teeth stuck into but i do but it's not there for example coming away from whiplash and seeing the problems that it discusses, I felt there was a dialogue. Yeah. You know, yeah. I didn't feel that with this. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So let's go on and see what, see what we're doing next week, mate. I'm so excited. And so like, I, I, I don't want to put pressure on you, but I mean, you sort of, this now has become the most exciting bit of the pod. Well, I, uh, I, I have sort of, I've, I've thought about it. And for the past few weeks, look, we've done, Casino Royale, Man, James Bond, Gladiator, Man, Russell Crowe, Maximus, and then this time again, Man, Forrest Gump. So let's let's mix it up this time. I was I was walking through HMV, having a look through all the films. I wasn't like purposely being like, I want to find some films with with women in. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking like I was just trying to draw in some inspiration. Oh, what haven't I seen for ages? You know, what could what could sort of fill a brief what could take things on a certain direction after Forrest Gump um and there's been there's been a, a few films there's been three that have been bubbling around in my head and do you like how I'm keeping the suspension going for you mate? I can feel it. you I, like I, shivering I'm literally I'm literally like tense <laughs> actually sitting up but this <laughs> week it, and it's it's a film I've, I've watched yeah a good few years ago now um, and I enjoyed very much at the time. I think it's got a stellar cast. I'm going for Thelma and Louise. Oh, hello, hello. Now this is this is a first on the pod. I have never seen Thelma and Louise. You haven't. Fantastic. So this Fantastic. is the first time I am watching this completely fresh eyes. So that is I'm I'm delighted with that. That this is I, I I can't wait. How should I watch this? Do you know what I mean? Is, is there like I've got no I've got nothing to go off here. Is there a is this a kind of watch at home? Is this a try and find a rerun? Is this a sort of I, like, I think always try and find a rerun. That that's right. that's the one, right? But if you can't, it'll be fine at home. It'll be fine. You know. Nineteen ninety one. Do you know what I, I would say, and this isn't this isn't to do the movie a disservice, but I think it's even one 
you could download and watch on your phone on the flight home. It's it's like it's because I don't think the movie hinges on its big screen appeal. I think it's a <sighs> it's a real. If in doubt, Prince Charles Cinema, Thelma yeah. and Louise showing. It's up there. It's up there. So there's, sh- there's a showing on Saturday at five. Are you having a laugh? Genuinely, Saturday five thirty-five p.m. Back Seriously, freaking net. <laughs> is that like? Is that actually? Yeah, I haven't seen. I haven't seen the. Uh, I haven't seen it before, and I'll be able to see it in the cinema. So that is really quite nice. Hang on, I'm, mate. I'm actually going to see if I have any plans then, because. <laughs> Let me see. Let Do you know see. what? It's on. It's on the cinema. On it's on the cinema Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Thursday at the Prince Charles. So there's enough showings to get to. Oh mate, let's do it. Let's do it. Love it. Absolutely love we'll it. We sort this out off air, but let's do it. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, mate. Thank you so much. And and what a, what an absolute class pod that was I really really enjoyed that and What's buzzing so? to go to the bloody cinema we've just got to remind everyone to get in touch because we've sorry. probably upset a few people haven't we well this is what I was going to say I am sorry if you know if I've just ruined one of your childhood favourites or anything you know I'm just <laughs> uh, it's just you know we, we're not this is going to happen right I felt almost guilty I'm going to say when I was watching this because I was talking to Charlotte about it I was talking to like Phil what did about Charlotte it think? She she didn't watch it she didn't watch it this time right, okay. she was yeah she was she was away um so I, I was just she was kind of like oh how was it you know was it good still and I was like I feel really bad but I, I you know I didn't enjoy it I didn't I think this is going to be the first time I'm really scared like I'm gonna go on this pod and like piss all over this like film that everybody loves it's like this endearing classic and I've watched this and I've just poured all this cynicism over it but that's kind of what that's what we're here to do, mate. Here to do it. That's in a way. the nature of the know. pod. I feel That's guilty what it's about. though. But, but still, maybe... if you if you want to call me a joyless fuckwit, please do <laughs> get in touch. Uh, right. <laughs> but I mean, other words are available as well. <laughs> if you wanted to yeah. use different adjectives, but um, yeah, do do shout. I wanna. I'm desperate to kind of like dive into some comments on this. So if you do have any thoughts, shoot them over. Um, and please, like, please leave reviews, ratings, subscribe on everything. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, BYOB Pod, on all of the socials. Um, yeah, let us know what you think, and we'll try and get back to as many of you as possible.